If you are in 6th to 12th grade, I want to go ahead and dismiss you right now. Head upstairs. I know Pastor Daniel has something prepared for you if you're here. And uh, don't forget, next uh, Friday, thank you, Don. Appreciate you so much for doing that. Don't forget the Friday youth group that we are uh, heading out to High Sea to have some fun, minister to you. So with that being said, we are going to be in the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2 here in a few minutes when we uh, eventually get there. Uh, next week, uh, of course, many of you know we didn't have service last week and we pre-taped a message, uh, uh, Independence Day message. And while I was uh, away visiting my grandkids, you know what, I I'm a firm believer now more than ever that grandkids are are a blessing that you get for not killing your own kids. Amen? <laughs> if my two boys are watching, uh, sorry, that's just the way it is. But I was able, Cindy and I were able to take the week, go visit grandkids in Butte and Great Falls, and then we went to Spokane and saw her family. So uh, that's what was going on. But also we knew it was a big weekend, 4th of July. So we just felt led um, to... Uh, do what we did, so hopefully you're going to get back in and be here. Yes, worshiping the Lord is important, and that's why we challenge you to watch the message and have a time uh, to look at the Word and pray. So while I was away, I tell you all that because while I was away, we finished uh, our times of refreshing. We have a few more days on Facebook. We're looking, reading through the book of Acts together. I believe Monday will be in Acts chapter 26, and we're going to verse uh, uh, we have something special at the end plan when we get to chapter 28, but times of refreshing. We finished that that series, and I just have uh, been praying while I was away and just seeking the Lord, and the Lord really impressed upon me that we're going to go to the Old Testament. Jeff, could you dial me down just a couple of notches, please? We're going to go to the Old Testament, and we're going to look at 1 Kings. We're going to go through, I believe there's 22 chapters in 1 Kings, and we're going to begin that next week. And you'll see what the Lord's laying on my heart. Why, why there? There's so much going on with just the people in that book that we can relate to. And it's, it's got all the, the drama and different things that you can see, the kings and come and go and Solomon and David and all these different things. But there, there's also another point to it that I'll share next week. But I really feel like we're going to spend some time, a season in, in that book uh, of First Kings. But this morning, Considering what is happening in our world, uh, in our world, I would like to talk about what people consider to be the most important question in this life. The most important question in this uh, in this life. Now, please hear me. I, I am I am talking about questions outside of the riots and the coronavirus. Okay, so let's just set that aside, and we're going to look. What I believe is the most important question of life. Uh, I'm going to start out and say that the most important question, the number one most important question, which we're going to go to probably, I should have said the second most important question of life, because the, first of all, the, the most important question for all of us in life is the question that Jesus asked his disciples. His disciples. When uh, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And I would say the most important question in life, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? You see, how you answer that question will guide you in the present life and determine 
your future life, right? As I often say, eternity matters. So who you'd say Jesus is in this life matters when you leave this life. And who you say Jesus is in this life matters in the present where you are now. Would you agree with me? But we're going to look more at this present life. Outside of having faith in Jesus, people, when asked what the most important questions in life, are willing to give you a variety of answers in different ways, correct? Here's a few. The most important question in life, people will answer in some of these ways. Well, are you happy? Because that's all that matters. Are you happy? Are, are you happy? Are you taking time? To enjoy life, are you investing in someone besides yourself? Are you grateful? Are you aware of the priorities that you are living? Are you fulfilling your purpose in life? Are you living the values you promote? Are you taking proper care of yourself? We better move away from that one quick. Are you improving uh, the life of those around you? Are you apologizing when you need to? Are you forgiving yourself and others? Important questions, right? Those aren't, there's nothing really wrong with any of those questions. Important questions, many of them that have to do with both the physical life and our spiritual life. Another question, this is like I was saying, this is probably the second most important question in life. Another question that truly has to do with the quality of both your physical life and your spiritual life is the question, are you ready for this? Are you teachable? Everybody still with me? You see, being teachable has been called the most important life skill, and I agree with that 100%. The most important life skill. As we'll see, being teachable spiritually is essential, is essential for a follower of Jesus. So it is a great question for us this morning. Are you teachable? So here's, as I was praying this morning, preparing the Lord put this illustration in my head. I had no plans of doing this, and I don't even have any clue if it's even going to work out. The worship team was wondering what I was doing this morning. <laughs> Are you teachable? Many of you know what this is, right? It's a mirror. How do you like that, Richard? <laughs> it's a mirror. We take this mirror. How, I want you guys to look and, look and see what I get to look at. You guys are beautiful. Right? You guys are beautiful. Oh, not so much. <laughs> we use this mirror to look as our, at our physical appearance, right? Make sure everything's in order, ready to go, right? But this morning, I want you to look at this mirror. Is this too distracting for you guys all out here if I leave it here? Not too bad? Is a light glaring in your eye? Not too bad? I'm going to put this mirror here this morning because this morning, 
Just like a, we use this mirror in a physical sense to see how we're uh, looking, how our appearance is, right? I want this to be a reminder that this morning we need to look in a mirror. We need to look in a spiritual mirror. And this is for your pastor as well as all of you. We need to look in a spiritual mirror and ask ourselves, are we teachable? Are we teachable? This is for me just as much as it is for all of you today, okay? So I'm not taking shots from the pulpit. Spiritual, we can look in the, in the physical mirror and, and see the aging, right? If you're like me, you probably don't want those mirrors around anymore. We see the aging, we see the balding, we see the aging. How many of you noticed I cut my hair? Did any of you notice it was getting a little crazy? Because I was trying to see if I could grow it out. Well, I gave up. <laughs> I looked in the mirror one day and said, I don't think so. But you see, a, a spiritual mirror, when we look in a spiritual mirror, so to speak, we get to see if we're growing spiritually. Are we growing spiritually? Meaning, are we, are we teachable? James chapter 1, verses 23 through 25, listen to these words. Anyone who listens to the word, who is teachable, who listens to the word but does not do what it says, unteachable, it's like a man who looks at the face, at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I try to do that often, amen? But we're talking spiritually. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, into, into the word of God, into the Bible, into what Jesus says, looks intently into the perfect law um, that gives freedom and continues to do this, meaning he's teachable, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So if we're teachable, the word of God is saying, if we're teachable, we're going to be blessed in what we do. Blessed in what we do. So that's what we're going to look at today. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much that we can come to the house of the Lord. We can worship you in song. We can worship you through the reading and the application of the word of God. May our hearts and minds be open. May your Holy Spirit move right in and have your way in each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if we are teachable, that means we're humble. We're humble. We are hungry to learn. We have closed mouths and open ears, and we are willing to apply what we learn. Right, I, I've, heard, I, I've heard it often say that, uh, I, Cindy used this illustration a lot, uh, of a, a married couple. He's a, he's a very intelligent man, and she gets frustrated with her husband because they're oftentimes at a place, and they're listening to a conversation, and he is very uh, educated in the discussion, but he rarely says a word. And one day, the wife asks him, he says, why don't you speak up? Why don't you, you know, tell everybody what you, you know, what you know in the conversation? She's frustrated. And he says, I don't need to speak up. I already know what I know. I want to know what they know. It's probably a little distracting, I can tell. So we need to be humble. We need to be hungry to learn. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. Being unteachable 
Listen to this. Being unteachable hurts us relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. Listen to, look at what Proverbs 26, 12 says. Do you see a man who is unteachable and wise in his own eyes and full of self-conceit? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Being unteachable is a serious problem. It is an expression of extreme pride to be unteachable. Now, sadly, sadly, unteachable people are found not only in our secular world, which is easy to go out and see, especially when we see what's happening. There's just a lot of people that don't want to listen. They're unteachable. It's my way or the highway, right? But sadly... What we see in the second world is also found in the church. I have heard it said that the most dangerous person in a church is a person with an unteachable spirit. You see, unteachable people tend to be divisive. Unteachable people don't want their views or perspective challenged even when needed. Unteachable people often want to be the, the loudest voice in the room. Unteachable people think that their way is always best. Unteachable people have a quick-to-react spirit, not a quick-to-listen spirit. Unteachable people usually have a considerable amount of underlying anger. Unteachable people have the attitude, I already know all I need to know. So let me tell you all that I know. Unteachable people don't want to change or admit they, they may need help. Unteachable people move quickly to defense, defensiveness. And unteachable people are often critical and lack sympathy. You see, an unteachable spirit will cause you to isolate yourself from the church and cause your spiritual growth to stagnate. I don't need to go to church every week. If, if I go to church once every two months, I'm a regular tender and that's all I need to know because I already know everything and that's all I need to do. I don't need to be around the body of Christ. I don't need to worship God because I know it all. I know the Bible front to back. I can quote it word for word. What can that crazy Pastor Jay have to say that would pertain to me? You're right, in and of myself, I really have nothing to say to you. But through prayer, seeking the Lord, counting on him to speak through me, to bring you a message that not only pertains to you, but pertains to me, that's who we rely on, correct? The Holy Spirit. With an unteachable spirit, you will develop a twisted approach to life, to the world and your relationships will tend to be toxic. Think about that. Think about some people you may know that are in toxic relationships and how they may have gotten there because they didn't want to take the advice of other people. Lord knows years ago, if I would have listened to some people, I could have probably avoided some toxic relationships in my own life. Any of you can say amen to that? See, but that's what happens when we become unteachable. We have to learn the hard way, right? The school of hard knocks. How many of you graduated from that school? How many of you are still enrolled? <laughs> you see, I think it's an important question for us all. Are you teachable? 
Teachability is not just critical, but is absolutely necessary for a born-again disciple of Jesus. Did you hear me? If you claim to be a born-again disciple of Jesus, being teachable is, is essential. In his final instructions, Jesus commanded his disciples, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word disciple is used 261 times in the New Testament and simply means, are you ready for this hard definition of what the word disciple means? Are you ready to write it down? Or this is it. It means, a disciple means you are a learner. A disciple means you are teachable. You are a learner. Jesus calls his followers learners. Go therefore and make learners of all nations. If you're going to make learners, you have to be a learner. Again, I'm looking in the mirror too. I'm looking. Jesus calls his followers learners and commands them to go into the world and make more learners. So this means to be a follower of Jesus, one must be teachable. Are you looking in the spiritual mirror with me this morning? Are you looking? We see the importance spiritually of being teachable in Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. The main text this morning. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. If you like to write in your Bible. Underline appeared. Has appeared to all men. Teaching. You can underline that. Teaching us. Teaching us that. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly. Righteously and godly in this present age. In the present age. Now, in the beginning of chapter 2, we didn't read it, but at the beginning of chapter 2, in Paul's writing, it says, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. The word fitting describes those things which are appropriate, proper, or becoming. The Apostle Paul goes on to explain how it is possible for believers to adorn the doctrine of God in verse, in verse 10. To adorn, to wear, for people to see, to adorn the gospel of God in verse 10, rather than dishonor it in verse 5. Paul tells how various groups of believers can beautify or yeah, beautify their lives adorning biblical doctrine. And in the process, attracting others to the Savior. And it builds to the, new, the two verses that we just read. These verses speak of both the coming of grace and the education of grace. In verse 11, Paul wrote, The grace of God has appeared. What does that mean, appeared? The verb the verb has appeared is placed at the very beginning of the passage to stress that the appearance of grace is, is historical uh, reality and a fact. The appearance of grace was Jesus, the personal manifestation of God's grace upon the earth. It appeared. It was Jesus, right? Uh, John, the apostle John, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this in John chapter 1, 14. The Word became flesh. 
That's Jesus. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of what? Full of grace and truth. So grace appeared. Jesus Himself, grace incarnate. God's supremely gracious gift to fallen mankind came to earth and then demonstrated the dynamic nature of God's grace to redeeming mankind through the sacrifice on the cross. Grace appeared. Aren't you thankful for that grace? That's what Paul's writing in Titus. Grace appeared. We have to understand that's that's the forefront of grace. That's what grace is, right? That's how we're saved. We're saved by grace. Aren't you thankful we're not saved by works? Aren't you thankful we're not saved by any other crazy thing the world develops or tries to tell us? But you are saved by grace, by God coming to be man in the flesh and dying on the cross. That's grace extended to us. If you believe and accept it. But understand, this is where, where you have to really focus this morning. We have to understand this, especially in our world of grace. I often hear people say over and over and over, I live by grace. I don't have to change anything. I ask Jesus into my heart, carry on as I want because I live in grace. I'm not going to argue that. You do live in grace. But verse 12 tells us a little something more to this grace. Understand there was not just an appearance of grace in the past. There is right now, right now, an education of grace in the present. There is an ongoing work of grace. That is what verse 12 is all about. In verse 12, we have the education of grace. It says grace teaches. We are teachable. It teaches. Please hear me this morning. The understanding of grace and how grace works in us, it is crucial. I love this story. I love this story about how a religious conference how a bunch of religious people, they were all together and they were uh, decided to have this great discussion. They were all wise and very educated in the Bible and other things. So they decided to have this debate about what is unique about Christianity. Someone suggested that what, is, what set Christianity apart from other religions of the world was the concept of incarnation, the idea that God took on the human form of Jesus. But someone quickly said, well, actually, other faiths believe that God appears in human form. So they went on. Another suggestion was offered. What about the resurrection? The belief that death is not the final word, that the tomb was found empty. Amen, right? Someone slowly shook his head. Other religions have accounts of people returning from, from the dead. And I could debate that, but we'll just stick with the story. Right about then, C.S. Lewis, the great evangelist, C.S. Lewis, you probably have heard his name many times. He walked into the room with his jacket, his pipe, his, his arm full of papers, and he was a little early for his, uh, his scheduled sermon. 
He sat down and he took in the conversation, which had now evolved in a, in a fierce debate, a fierce argument. And finally, during a lull in, in this argument, he spoke up saying, what is all this ruckus about? What is, what's going on? I can't quite catch up what you guys are arguing about. And everyone turned to his direction, knowing who he was, trying to explain themselves. They said, we are debating what's unique about Christianity. Oh, that's easy, answered Lewis. Here's his answer. It's grace. It's grace, people. It's grace. And the, the room fell silent after a moment. Someone commented that Lewis had a point that Lewis was right. So please understand, church, grace. Grace is at the heart of of our faith and God's plan for the world. And it's vital. It's vital. It's vital that we understand grace and respond to grace. Here is the key that we must all come to understand. I'm going to have this for you on the overhead. Here it is. Grace is not just about the party. It is also about the process. It's not just about the party. When somebody comes to saving grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we know for sure that there's a party in heaven because the Bible tells us all the angels rejoice over one sinner that gives their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning they fall into his grace. There's a party. There should be a party in our church. There should be a party anytime somebody comes to saving grace in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Grace. But it's also about the process. You don't stay there. You don't stay in that, in that place. And that's what we see here. The grace of God has come not only as a Savior, but as a teacher to train us and to prepare us. Grace trains, it instructs, it schools, it corrects and molds our attitudes, uh, our responses, our behavior, and our character. The question is, are you teachable? Are we still looking in the mirror this morning? Are you teachable? The same grace that saves us, amen, the same grace that saves us transforms us and enables us to obey God, to fulfill his command, and live rightly. In other words, saving grace is also sanctifying grace. Sanctification means you're in a process. A process to what? To be like Pastor Jay. Lord, help you. You're in a process to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. The minute you accept grace, you are far from being like the Lord Jesus Christ in word and deed, okay? So you're sanctified, you're in a process. So you accept grace, and then grace begins to train and teach you. Thank God for his grace. You see, grace is not only God's provision for our new birth, but is his present provision for our daily walk with him. A walk, a life in which we are set apart from the world, the flesh and the devil, and set apart unto God. Grace teaches. The question is, are you teachable? 
The truth is the grace that saves us changes us if, if, if we are teachable. So the question is, are you teachable? Are you still looking in the spiritual mirror this morning? Are you still asking yourself? Are you still allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you? In your own mind, have you arrived or are you examining yourself? Your pastor is. What does God's grace teach? What is grace's school about? First of all, grace teaches us to renounce evil. Grace teaches us a, a, a disciple, right? A learner, a disciple, a learner to deny ungodliness and world lust. Deny, are you ready? It's another big definition. Deny literally means to say no to. Not compromise with, not to play around. Well, it says denies. That means to say no to. But, you know, there's a little wiggle room right here. It says deny means to say no to. Sometimes the difficult part of training, get, listen to this, is not putting the right things in, but getting the wrong things out. How many of you can say amen to that? I can say amen to that. Right? It's not so much about letting the right things in. It's about breaking the old habits and getting the wrong things out. And the true learning of godliness begins with the unlearning of worldliness. Right? We have to unlearn some things. The laying off of that which stands in the way of our development of a Christ-like life. Please hear me this morning. Grace does not provide the license to do as we please, but instructs us and gives us the power to do what we ought. Amen. You don't. I have grace. I have a license to do what I am free in Christ, so I can do whatever I want. Yes, but grace does gives us the power and teaches us to do as we ought. What does the Lord Jesus Christ teach us in his example? That's what grace teaches us. Grace teaches us to say no and to live in the power. You see, John addresses this in his first letter, warning believers, 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 17 says... Do not love the world, um, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So any you could you could put the words there if anybody is unteachable. Right? We need to be teachable. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and all of and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God, lives forever. So the one that is teachable and lives in his teaching grace, right, we can live forever because we're being sanctified. We are not to love the world, to be caught up in the lusts of the world and the going the way of the world and the evil desires. You can't have it both ways. What does Jesus say? 
If you're neither hot, if you, if hot nor cold, meaning that because you're lukewarm, he tells people, because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my house, out of my mouth. Because you want both ways. Because you want to be a born again disciple of Jesus, but you sure like living in the world. So you straddle the fence. I have God's grace. I'm being sanctified a little bit, the things I like, but I have God's grace. But I like this, so I'll apply this. I don't like that so much because I want to stay in the world. You see, and because of that, you can be lukewarm. And Jesus said, because of that, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I wish you were either cold or hot. Are you still looking in the mirror? Somebody told me this morning, I won't say his name, but he knows who he is. Isn't that right, John? <laughs> the world needs the church to come alive. The world needs the church to come alive and live like our Lord Jesus Christ, to live like our Savior, to live like the example that he gave us. Grace teaches us how to deny, how to say no to ungodliness to worldly desires instead of saying, well, I live in grace, so grace I can do, I have all the freedom I want. We need to live in grace and say, you know, I live in grace because I live in grace and grace is teaching me. I know my flesh wants to do this or that and I know people want me to come and do this and that, but because I live in grace and grace is teaching me and I'm thankful for God's grace and I want to be like Jesus and because of his grace, I'm not going to do A, B, or C because I'm being taught and learning in his grace and because of that, people are going to see the Savior in me. Because that's what grace does. That's how grace should work in our lives. It's not a free-for-all pass. By the way, denial of self is a definition of a disciple of Jesus. Did you know that? Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, 34. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny. He must say no to himself and take up his cross and follow me. He must become teachable, not unteachable, and follow me. Walk in my grace, but walk in my teachable grace as well. That's what Jesus is saying, to deny yourself. Grace teaches us how to deny ourselves in the area of ungodliness and, world, and worldly lust, right? The question is, are you teachable? I got to tell you, as I was preparing this, the Lord was smacking me around. I heard of a, of a Bible college professor who had a, a practical way of illustrating to his students the concept of grace. I want you to listen to the story as we close. At the end of his evangelism course, he would uh, distribute the exam with the caution. He would say this verbally to read it all the way through before beginning to answer it. Um, this caution was also written at the top of, of the exam. Read it all the way through before beginning to answer it. 
As the students read the test, it became unquestionably clear to each of them that they had not studied nearly enough. The further they read, the worse it became. About halfway through, audible groans could be heard throughout the lecture hall. This must have been one hard test. On the last page, however, was a note that read, you have a choice. You can either complete the exam as given or sign your name at the bottom. And so uh, in doing this, receive an A for this assignment. Wish I would have had more of those teachers. The students who read the exam all the way through sat there stunned. Was he serious? Just sign it and get an A? Slowly the point dawned on them. And one by one, they turned in their test and silently walked out of the room. This professor shared some of the reactions he's, he's received throughout the many years he's done this. Some students began to take the exam without reading it all the way through. And they would sweat it out for the entire two hours of the class time before, before reaching the last page. Others read the first two pages, became angry, turned the test in blank, and stormed out of the room without signing it, never realizing what was available. And as a result, they lost out totally. One guy, he said, read the entire test, including the note, to the end, but decided to take the exam anyway. He did not want any gifts. He wanted to earn his grade, and he did. He made a C plus, but he could have easily had an A. See, what a, what a great example, a great illustration, church, of how grace is available to us. See, grace is God's solution to our sin. And it may come to a shock to some of you in here, but you are a sinner. We need His grace. See, we must rely on God's solution. Not only must we, we have to rely on God's solution to save us. And not try to take the exam ourselves. We must rely on God's grace to teach us the way to godliness in this life. To be a learner so we can learn others. Are you teachable? Or will you walk away and do your own thing? Are you teachable or angry? Or will you receive God's gift of salvation and his gift of education unto godliness? It takes humility, doesn't it? All we do is accept his gifts and be teachable. And listen to the results according to the Apostle Paul in 2 Titus. Listen to the results as we wrap all this up. Listen to this. The result is we adorn, meaning we put on we put on the gospel in 
this present age with the visible evidence of its power in our lives. Each one of you, with God's grace being teachable, each one of you, do you see yourself adorned with the biblical uh, doctrine, with the salvation of the message of grace? Because that's who you are as a born-again disciple of Jesus. That's why we are God's plan A and God's only plan to send the message out into the world. This is how we become ornaments of the gospel, beautifying the scriptures, living out the scriptures because of the grace that is in us, learning and growing. By being teachable, by, by allowing grace to teach us, to teach us how to live rightly and godly. Please understand, if we are teachable and allow God's grace to continually instruct us, our lives will be, will then be adorned. We will adorn the scriptures, making beautiful the gospel in this present context in this present day for such a time as this, that you live, that you have a heartbeat. Just, I just comprehend that for a minute, will you? God didn't form you and fashion you to get together to live in the 1800s or the 1400s or, or BC, all throughout the timeline of man. He didn't fashion you together for any time as that. He fashioned you together right now in this time. You have a heartbeat. You are breathing because God gave that to you for such a time as this. And as a born-again disciple of Jesus, you are to adorn the Scriptures. You are an ornament of God, the salvation message in the world. That is your job, to be a learner and learn others about Jesus. Do you think the world needs to see more of that right now? People will see by our lives the gospel of grace. As disciples of grace, we are the ornaments of grace, adorning the doctrine of grace by the way we live. And I'll say it one more time. Are you and I teachable? Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We're so thankful for your for your son, we're so thankful for your grace. I lived outside of your grace for many years, Lord, and I was miserable. Unteachable. Looking for the answers the world offered. And God, it was only by your grace that I truly found peace and joy and happiness. And I pray any here this morning or watching Lord, would know you, would accept your grace, would admit they're a sinner and they need a Savior and ask you into their life, Lord. And Lord, for all of us that are born-again disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for each of us today 
I pray for each of us today, God, that we would open up our hearts and minds, open up to know that you can teach us something new every day, that we, we need to deny the things of this world and pick up our cross and let grace teach us to be more Christ-like. May we adorn, <laughs> may we be ornaments of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be lights in this dark world. May we have love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control as we walk in this world. We can argue and, de and debate people all day long, but sometimes we just need to listen. Just listen and shine grace. I pray you just have your way in each one of us. I pray each one of us will really reflect in a spiritual mirror and allow you to speak to each one of us what we can do to learn, continue to learn, continue to grow, whatever that looks like. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to remind a few things. Young adult meeting, 18 to 30. We're going to meet right back there in just a few minutes. Get a cup of coffee. Just take a few minutes of your time. And then tonight, tonight, Lord willing, I hope you can come back. It's 6 to 7. We're going to have time of praise, a little bit of prayer. We're going to be in here in fellowship. We're going to have pie. If you can't bring a pie, it's okay. Come anyway. We want you here. We want you here. And there's child care, uh, 11 and under as well tonight. God bless you all. If you need prayer. We'd love to pray with you. I'm going to just publicly say right now, Dennis, we need you to come down. We need to pray for our brother, Dennis. If a couple of guys come and we're going to lift him up in prayer. God bless.